It's good to see you. Welcome back to school. Welcome back to RUF, unless it's your first time. And then welcome to RUF for the first time. We're really glad to have you. Uh, my name is Chris. If I don't know you, I would love to get to know you. And I'm the campus minister here. Thanks for coming out tonight to spend some time um, with us. You might be here um, tonight because you made some kind of uh, weird New Year's resolution that you wanted to, to do things like this, that you wanted to uh, become more religious or get back into things that you used to be involved in, and whatever the reason is that you're here, or maybe it's just a new semester, um, we're really happy to have you. We're going to be in uh, Psalm chapter 19. Psalms are sort of in the middle of the Bible there. We're going to be in the 19th Psalm. Um, new Year's and a new semester is a great time to reflect. I mean, this is a time when a lot of people make resolutions and they decide, hey, I want to go to the gym more. Um, Because you look back over the past year and you see, okay, some things good, some things bad, some things I want to change. And the great part about a new semester and the new year is that we can kind of get back to sort of the basics. And uh, what I want to do, we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes this semester, starting in February. Um, Yeah, Ecclesiastes is such a weird book that everyone's like, yeah. Um, I'm kind of kicking myself for picking Ecclesiastes because it's actually really hard to understand. And so I'm struggling with that. So we're going to wait for a little while before we start that. But what I wanted to do for the first couple of meetings this semester is look at some just basic questions that I think that we all ask and we all struggle with, whether you're here and you're a, consider yourself a religious person or a Christian or that's not you. Um, these are questions that we're all asking. And just so you know, you're totally welcome here, and we're glad you're here wherever you are in that spectrum. So the first question that I want to look at tonight is, how do I know what's true? Where do I go to find truth? Um, there's been some big you know, events in the news in the last uh, month or two, things that require us to really consider and contemplate and think. Um, uh, and... You know, if you're like me, then you've been kind of frustrated with news outlets. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys watch the news. But if, if you turn on the news, you know, where, where do you go for your news? You can go to CNN. You can go to Fox. You can go to MSNBC, Bloomberg, NPR, wherever you go to find news. But the, the weird thing about news outlets is they all have a perspective. Some of them are really obvious, right? I think we all kind of understand the perspective that Fox is coming from or the MSNBC is coming from. And I feel like when I'm trying to get this true objective news that they're trying to sell me something, right? They're trying to sell me on a certain perspective. And the question for us tonight is, in a world full of opinions where people are trying to sell you something, what's true? What can you depend on? What can you hang your hat on? And we're going to look at the 19th Psalm. This is a song that a king named David wrote a long time ago in Israel. So you can look on your, on your handout. Um, or if you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible and you would like to, ha- to have one, there's some on the back table. You can just take it with you. Um, so Psalm chapter 19. Uh, listen, this is God's word. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. 
Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is God's word. So let's ask his blessing to help us understand. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, Lord, we do ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you. Lord, help us by your spirit to understand what your word says to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Do do people look on Yahoo Answers anymore? Is that still a thing? Okay, cool. Um, I'm not, well, maybe not cool. Uh, if you don't know what Yahoo Answers is, it's like you type, you, you put up an answer, and then various users will give, uh, you put up a question, and various users will give an answer, and they vote on them and whatever. And Yahoo Answers is really good for questions like, how do I treat a urinary tract infection? Um, or like, what's the best biscuit recipe? Um, it's a little, uh, gets a little bit wobbly when you start asking like big, major philosophical questions on Yahoo Answers. Um, I was on there not, not long ago, and someone asked one of those big, wobbly questions. And the, their question was, why is God hiding? Okay, okay, maybe Yahoo Answers is not, not the form, but um, okay. Why doesn't he show himself? Why doesn't he make an appearance where lots of people could see him? Examples might be saving people from the World Trade Center on 9-11 or coming down with a bunch of angels during the Super Bowl halftime show. That's a good one. Imagining his, I loved, imagining his work in every flower isn't the same as his making a grand, viewable, undeniable entrance. Okay? That's a good point. It's like, no, go look at the flowers. And you'll say, like, yeah, 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 I need something real big, right? Um, okay, maybe they're asking in the wrong place, but it's a good question. And no doubt, um, a heartfelt question. Why is God hiding? Why does it seem like if, if God's there, like, I don't ever hear from him? Or he's not that obvious to me? A, a really good question, and maybe you felt that way. I felt that way often. Tonight, in this passage, in this song that David has written, he's showing us that God is not silent. Actually, God speaks a lot, all the time, very, very loudly, for us to hear. And as we're asking this question, how do I find truth? How do I know what's true? If God himself were to speak, that would be true. That would be something to hang your hat on. That would be something to base your life on. So we do want to listen to David as he's talking about how God speaks. And he's showing us that God speaks in three ways. God speaks in his works, that is his creation. God speaks in his word, the Bible. And God speaks through his son, 
Jesus. And I hope this will help us find the truth. Look, look at the beginning of the passage here. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Um, he's saying this space, the celestial bodies in space, planets, stars, all these things, they're not just there. They're doing something. They're saying something. That They're pouring out this speech. They're declaring to the world that God is amazing. And he says, and then the sky joins them. So it's like space is singing this melody about God. And then the sky, you think the crimsons, the pinks, and the burnt oranges of a sunset. Or lightning. Beautiful clouds in the sky that they're joining in with a harmony. And they're singing this grand song about how God is amazing. They're basically saying, God made me. And God is incredible. And this is happening all the time. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. Everything in the created order doesn't just exist. It exists and sings a song to God that we can all hear that God is amazing. Um, there's a YouTube video, and uh, it's called Hippies Crying Over Dead Trees. And, and it's, it's funny. Um, it is a funny video. Uh, and I think it's meant to be funny. I think it's meant to poke fun at the people in the video. Um, and at first, like, I, w- I thought this video was really funny, and I was laughing at these people at expense, but I changed my mind later. Um, the video is basically some extreme, I think what many of us would consider extreme environmentalists, and um, environmentalism, is, environmentalism is great, um, but they were kind of, you know, wild. And uh, they're literally in the forest... And like literally crying because there are some trees that have been cut down and crying and wailing and they're very upset. And like one person is like screaming to the trees like, I hope you hear me. Like uh, not everyone's like this. Like there are people that care. And, uh, and, and, and there's a lady at the end. It's a short video. You should watch it. Um, it's really, I mean, it's the silliness of it. <laughs> you just shut the top. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Thanks, Emily. Emily Senior, everybody. There's a lady at the end of the video, and she's kind of the kicker, because she's talking to the cameraman, and she, sa- and she says, this is my cathedral. She says, she says, this is my cathedral. Bring me here to this rock, which has the most wonderful life in it. And, and like at first I laughed, because I was like, well, it's a rock. And so like by definition, it, it doesn't have wonderful life in it, uh, because it's an inanimate object, and it's a rock. Uh, maybe if it was like a bird or something, I could see that. Um, but then the more, the, I kind of laughed at her expense. And then I, I, I realized, you know what? Like, she's really kind of onto something. And these people in this video are kind of onto something. Because it isn't just trees and rocks. Like, there's something bigger and grander behind the scenes that's going on. That they're crying out to God. So if that's the case, my wife, when she was a kid, she, they sang this song in church called All God's Critters Got a Place in the Choir. You guys ever heard the song? Some sing lower, some sing higher, some sing out loud on a telephone wire, and some just clap their hands or pause or anything they got now. Okay. Um, hopefully that wasn't your church growing up. Um, but if everything is, is singing praise to God and speaking, and like it says, pouring forth speech, um, how is it the case that not everybody hears that? Why is it the case that maybe the majority of people don't hear God's voice? They don't see God speaking. They don't hear the voice of God in all these things. How, how do we miss it? Um, think about it like this. Have you ever been out on a beautiful day, unlike today, 
and uh, maybe you were laying out in the parkway somewhere, and it's one of those beautiful days where it's like the blue sky, but like big clouds going by. And it's fun to kind of lay there on a blanket and look at the clouds go by, right? And everyone that's laying there is thinking, looking at these clouds and thinking, like, that one looks like Mickey Mouse, or that one looks like a dragon, right? You've done, you've done this before, that one looks like Jaws. They all kind of look like clouds to me. Um, uh, everyone that's sitting there is looking at the same thing. But in a sense, it's so general that you can be really subjective about it and see what you want to see in it. You're getting an impression from nature, but you're, it's hard to understand what exactly it's saying. The Bible says, look, that we're finite people, and on top of that, we're sinners, and we, we don't really want to have anything to do with God. So when we look at creation, it becomes subjective to us, and we make it say what we want it to say. He talks about the sun, for an example. He's talking about the sun. It, it comes out. It's like a man running its course with joy. If, if you look at the sun, and you say, what does the sun say about God? Well... It says that God's powerful, that he could create something amazing. God is incredible because he takes all these dangerous gases and he puts them together and he sets them on fire. And he puts us just far enough away from them so that we can get its warmth and its light, but we're not consumed by it. Like, that's amazing and incredible. And you get this impression like God is amazing, but you don't really know something personal about God. You can't say by looking at the sun, I know God, right? Um, what we need to know God is words. So imagine again you're laying, you're looking at the clouds. Okay? What happens when one person says, you know, that one looks like a pirate ship? Right? Someone speaks and says, it looks like, everyone goes, oh yeah, that does kind of look like a pirate ship. We need God to come and speak real words to us, and that's what he does. Look, where, look what uh, David says starting in verse 7. God speaks through his works and he speaks through his word. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandments of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. And he's talking about these things. These are all synonyms for God's word, for the Bible. Specifically, the parts of the Bible where God says, this is how you should live and this is how you should not live. But look, look what happens. If you were really paying attention, which if I was you, I would not have noticed this at all. Um, at the beginning of the passage, David refers to God as God. In verse 7 through 12 through 11, he refers to God as the Lord. And you see its little capital letters, right? The word at the beginning there for God is the word El in Hebrew. And it means God in a general sense. But when he gets here and he's talking about God's word, he refers to him in Hebrew as a word that sounds like Yahweh. It's, and it's translated Lord. It's God's personal name. Like I say, I could say Annie is a girl and she's a student at App State. Right? It's a general term. But when I say Annie, then I know exactly who I'm talking about. This is God's personal name. And what David is telling us here is, look, when God is coming and speaking to you in his word, he's speaking to you on a personal level. Like someone would introduce themselves with their name. Now, he's talking about how great the law is, how great the Bible is. Look, starting in verse 10. If you're here tonight and you've really never spent much time with the Bible, this should sound super weird to you, okay? So if you're like, that's weird, good. You know, you're getting it. You're, that's right. It says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. When I think of the Bible, and I'm like a Bible guy, right? You know, reverend. Um, when I think of the Bible, and when I think especially of the parts of the Bible that are like the law, my first instinct isn't like, Mmm, delicious. Sweeter than honey. 
you know, this is just the best. Like, all I want to do is read this Bible all day. You know, that's not my knee-jerk reaction. It's probably not yours as well. So how does David say this? Like, is he like this, like, religious nut that just, like, loves read, reading this, you know, something that seems kind of dry? Um, think about it like this. I, when I was in college, I got to take a summer trip to London. You, should, you guys should, you know, travel as much as you can. And uh, there was a, there's a gallery there called the Saatchi Gallery, and it's basically this art collection of this really rich British guy, and he collects modern um, British art. And my favorite artist, contemporary artist, his name is Damien Hirst, and he has all of Damien Hirst's work. The guy's so rich, I mean, he just buys all this guy's work. And I remember being there, and I was studying art at the time, and I was, I was very moved by, by Hirst's work. Um, but really, I mean, if you're looking at a piece of art or painting or whatever, like it makes a deep impression on you. It can change you. It can challenge you. It can make you feel emotional. But it's not really telling you, like you wouldn't say, because I looked at your art, like I know you personally. But like imagine Damien Hirst had come up to me there in the Saatchi Gallery and he started to explain the work. So I said, this is kind of where I was when I made this. This was kind of why I chose this color here. This is what I was trying to do with the composition. And then he says, you know what? Let's, uh, let's go back to my flat. You know, that's what they call it in London. I know from my, my deep experience there for three months. Um, he said, come back to my apartment, and, and I'll make you dinner. And we'll talk more about the work. And you come to his house, you see the things that he has. He starts telling you what he likes, what he doesn't like. Tells you what kind of food he likes, what he doesn't like. What makes him angry? What makes him tick? What David is showing us here is that God, in a sense, has invited us in, in a personal way, to know him. And he's telling us about himself, what he's like, what he likes, what, he, what makes him angry, how he wants us to live. He's coming and introducing himself and inviting us into a conversation and a relationship with him through his word. That is sweeter than honey. That is more valuable to gold than gold to know God in that way. And so he's saying it's valuable, God's word is valuable. But really what I want to focus on for a minute is walk with me quickly, like starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right, pure, clean, true. What he's saying here is the Bible is true. It's perfect. When he says that word, it's right, he means it's like a straight edge that you put something against to tell if it's straight. It's the measuring stick. It's God's actual word, so it's perfectly authoritative and perfectly true in all points. Okay? So what I just told you was that this is perfect and true, and we measure everything against it. And if you're just like, oh yeah, cool, sounds good, um... Okay, but that's probably not the majority of us because the majority of us read this, especially if we've taken a religion class or we've really spent time dealing with the Bible and we go, there's things in there that are really helpful and good. And there's things in there that I just can't get behind. Like there's things in here that like offend me and I see them as regressive and wrong and it needs to be updated and I'm not living by that part. You guys feel, feel what I'm saying here? Um, I struggle with that too. And I, I've struggled with that for a long time. Um, a pastor in New York named Tim Keller helped me in thinking through this. Okay, first proposition. I think most of us, if not all of us, will agree 
that there's no such thing as a perfect culture. In the history of humanity, there's never been a culture where, like, you know what? They got everything right. Because all cultures, right, have blind spots. All cultures oppress people in, in certain ways and in different ways. All cultures take things for granted. All cultures are good at some things and bad at some things. But there's no ultimate perfect culture, right? Go like this, right? A 21st century American culture isn't like the apex, and now we've, get it, we've gotten it right. Okay, I think we can all agree on that. Um, okay, so there's no perfect culture. Do a thought experiment with me. Whether you believe it or not, take a second and just imagine that this is true completely and authoritative, and it's from God, and it's God's very words, okay? And some of you guys are like, oh, that, just, that bothers me, okay? Just imagine, okay? Now, if this was absolutely true and perfect, and there's no such thing as a perfect culture, and we're all culturally indoctrinated people, isn't it the case that anybody reading this true thing would be offended by it? And there will be points where you would go, I can't buy that, and I don't agree with that. I think that's wrong if this is perfect and we're not. So actually the fact that we get offended by things in the Bible maybe isn't so much an argument that it's wrong, but it could be an argument that it's right. And we are culturally indoctrinated people. Maybe this isn't just a document from some regressive culture trying to make sense of the world, but it's from God, and that's why it chafes us. Um, the Bible actually does do that thing. Let's, let's just take two parts of American culture. Let's be really simplistic and say, let's take conservative capitalist type folks, okay, which many of us in the room, that's who we are, the water we swam in our whole life, um, and then like liberal progressive people, whatever, however you want to divide that up. The Bible offends conservative capitalist type people. They might pretend like it doesn't, but it does, because this is what the Bible says. People fundamentally don't get what they deserve in Jesus. Because what people deserve as sinners is death and hell and all that stuff, right? But in Jesus, you don't get what you deserve. You get what Jesus deserves. And he gives it to you as a gift. And you, don't, you can't do anything to get it. And so lazy people and people that take things for granted and don't work and put in the hard work and the time and the skills and the smarts, they get what the smart, hardworking people get too. And that drives, like, conservative capitalist people crazy. It's like you're saying anybody can get in no matter what. Yeah, I don't like that because that's not the way the world's supposed to work. Okay? Um, we're going back to penguins, whatever. Um, uh, but for liberal progressive type people, I can have to unplug that. Um, so, but for li- liberal progressive type people, they come to the Bible and it shapes them because it's like, this thing says I can't live however I want to. There's a, there is a very set ethic and morality in the Bible. And it's really, really clear. Okay? And we don't need to just make it up based on how we feel inside. We don't get to live however we want to. The Bible says some things are sin. And that bothers us if we're more of a liberal, progressive type background. The Bible offends all people of all cultures of all time because it's God's word. Because it's absolutely true. And that offense, that chafing, the Bible would call that conviction. It's convicting us. Because we're looking at this thing and it's saying, you're wrong. 
in a lot of ways, and you have to change. Look at the end of the passage. David's talking about how perfect the Bible is. And then he immediately starts talking about the fact that he's a sinner. He says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. The Bible says no one is perfect. The Bible says people sin. Everybody sins. But God speaks through his works and through his word. And he also speaks through his son. Because there's one person in the scripture. Look at, the, look at the very end there. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. There's one person that the Bible talks about that ever lived. Who every single one of his words and every meditation of his heart weren't just okay. They were acceptable and pleasing to God. Can you even begin to imagine that everything that you had sat and dwelled on in your heart was not only not wrong, God was like, yes, right, I'm behind that 100%. And that person is Jesus. Everything he did, everything he said, everything he continues to do is perfect in God's sight. And he comes to us. David's saying, look, I'm a sinner. Keep me back from sinning. He says, declare me blameless. The good news about Jesus speaking to us is that Jesus comes to us and speaks to us and says, I am perfect and you're not. And I will give my perfection to you as a gift. And there's nothing you could ever do to earn it. I'm giving it to you because I want you to have it. Um, That is incredible. And that's good news. One of the nicknames for Jesus in the Bible is the word. Because he's perfect, and he shows us God perfectly. If you want to know what God is like, so go back to the artist, okay? Not only does he invite you into his house and shares a meal with you, he says, I want you to come live with me. And I want you to know me and get to know me forever. And Jesus speaks to us, and he invites us to do that. Maybe this does not feel like honey to you. Maybe it really bothers you. Maybe you're like, I really am struggling to go. I'm going to base my life on what this says. Um, Welcome. Number one, welcome. Number two, if you look to Jesus and you ask him to give you ears to hear his voice, he loves to answer that prayer. And he will do it. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you that you speak to us, that you haven't left us in silence, that you've come to tell us the truth. And the truth is found in you and in your word to us. Uh, Help us to um, be humble enough to accept that and to be curious enough um, to seek Jesus. Help us if we need to be in a small group. Um, to take the step to do that. But we love you. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.